0: recorded live you're now tuned into the vmware community podcast join the conversation now live with eric nielsen
1: good morning good evening wherever you may be across the nation or around the world once again you're listening to the vmware communities roundtable podcast this is podcast number 563 my name is eric nielsen and with me today i have my alternate co-host Corey romero Today's Wednesday, July fourteenth, twenty twenty-one. Uh, Corey, how you doing today?
0: Eric, I'm doing well, and uh, how are you?
1: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's beautiful, sunny weather here. It's been chilly. It's not chilly, but like in the seventies. So uh, the heat wave has skipped us by, and probably heading down through the central western states and then uh, heading east but we're we're happy in the in the the nice weather space here on the show today we're going to be talking to christopher dukes uh, chris's uh works um as a senior consultant uh for nema n-e-m-e-a out of the uk so chris welcome to the show good to see you from the uk
2: thank you very much eric and thank you for having me how are you doing
1: uh, doing great, doing great. So we're going to be talking about HGX 4.0 and uh, data migration into the cloud. So Chris has a great blog. Uh, his blog is Christopher Dukes C or Chris Dukes C H R I S D O O K S dot com, and he's got a great blog that's been trending on HCX 4.0. What's new? So we've got Chris here. We're going to get to him, but uh, Corey, before we do. Chris, um, I know that we've got some VMworld dates coming up. Uh, let's see, we have October—no, October fifth or seventh is VMworld, but on July twentieth, content calendar opens up, right?
0: Yes, yes, excited about that. Can't wait to see all the uh, all of the sessions, especially the Vxper sessions. And uh, and Christopher, yeah, you're a expert as well. Um, didn't mention that, but I'll give you a shout out for that. Love the shirt, and uh, glad to have you on the Thanks. show. Very cool. Um,
1: so we've got uh, sessions coming up. I know that uh, Alistair Cooks uh, has, from vBoundbag, has you know some number of sessions, maybe 20 plus sessions in uh, Content Calendar. I know that Kripa from VMware Code has another 30 community sessions uh, on code topics, automation, PowerShell, uh, a little Kubernetes automation, everything automation. So we, we should have maybe 50 or 60 community sessions in Schedule Builder, and I know that uh, Alistair from V Brownbag is still taking a session ideas. He's reserved; he's holding back maybe fifteen or twenty slots for you know other late entries uh, to come in, so that you still have a shot at getting uh, a session. He's doing fifteen to twenty-minute sessions throughout the two-day event, so look for that. And I believe he'll record them, and then you we play the recording, and then you come into chat, and you'll be on chat. Uh, we're also rolling out Slack, so some of that's all happening. So um, you still have a chance to work with V Brownbag to get in sessions. I think that the code sessions are all taken up now, so we'll have those in content calendar, which all goes live on the 20th. So uh, stay tuned. We're excited about that. And then, Corey, I know that we're reaching out to the experts to uh, do some promotion on some of the key sessions that are going to be happening.
0: Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So we are going to be reaching out to v experts. And uh, so we're, we're I want, gonna be asking for a blog post on why, you're, why your sessions important, right? Like not just what your session's about, but what your session's about, as well as how does this help customers? How does this help help fellow employees, the community? How does it help just people over in, in general? So um, look for my email. So once we start getting more information about sessions, um, I will email that out asking for that. And uh, what we wanna do is we wanna promote your sessions, right? And um, I would say we wanna fill them up, but, um since we're um you know this is all online we really can't fill up but hey we want to pack as many people we can into your sessions and uh eric also for the v Brownback sessions are we going to be able to get that into into schedule builder
1: uh yes the v Brownback cool. sessions are all in schedule builder this year uh unlike last year so yeah, that's good to actually hear. uh yeah a good thing
0: awesome good to hear
1: uh, okay, let me check. Uh, the, the talks you guys are saying they're not hearing uh audio as well as they should, so I'm checking my audio device. Give me a second here. Uh, uh, if I do that, they're not gonna hear. Not sure why, not sure why. I can't really do anything about that, Eric. You're sounding good on my end. All right, well, there you go, good. Okay, Graham, thank you, thank you, Tony, for that. Just always want to see if I can continue to do good audio. Um, So yeah, lots of stuff in Schedule Builder coming out. All the sessions are in Schedule Builder. All of them are quasi-live. The code sessions are all live. The VMTN vBrownBank sessions are... uh, live with the people in chat, and they're going to record their sessions. So, and we're running them in Europe and U.S. time zone and not really in APJ. So understand that there are really two time zones, but the APJ people sometimes can come in and get a lot of the sessions early in the morning from from the U.S. venue. So that's, that's how we're handling that. So uh, busy times for all of us. I think that's all I've got for the news. So let's get on with the show and let's talk to Chris. And uh, Chris, we always start with, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your blogging. uh, What's your career art look like? Career arc look like, you know, where, how did you get your start and where are you in the land of the, the V community VMware ecosystem?
2: Hi. So, um, career wise, I, you know, I, I started off in the British Army as an uh, engineer working on HF and VHF and uh, and satellite radios, essentially. And then um, I think the army pretty much realised after a certain amount of time that things need to go over IP. So um, a system called Bowman came out, which is radio over IP, and um, everyone got pushed into becoming sort of you know what what they call information system engineers, which is sort of you know, just t- typical IT engineers looking after networks and computers, nor ha- had an interest in, in computing and building computers when when I was in school and from a young age. So when I got pushed into that to do it as a job, uh, it worked out really well for me. Uh, did that for another sort of seven or eight years and then decided that, you know, the army was no longer for me and started doing some sort of second line, third line IT support help desk. I did that um, moving into architectural work, and then eventually I took a job for an insurance company quite close to me in in, in Gloucester, and um, they they were upgrading from uh, vSwiss 6 to vSwiss 6.5, and they, they gave me that project. They said, hey, Chris, go away. Look into everything, you know, the storage, um, all of the uh, hardware, is it compatible? come out with a plan for upgrading and during the upgrade it went a bit wrong and we had to engage vmware support and i've been working with vmware products for quite a while but i really liked the community from you know looking around on the technology forums for answers and i liked the way that support engaged with us and that's when i really started discovering you know some really great blogs by by william lamb as everyone knows and and some other ones Uh, and i thought you know the, the, this particular issue that we had was unheard of within VMware support and we worked together through it and found a solution so I thought I need to share this knowledge with 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 everyone else because I've discovered so much from from other blogs so and I've now learned something new uh, and I will share that and then that drove me to becoming a v-expert and then eventually through that and people that I'd met uh, drove me to actually joining VMware as a as a permanent as a permanent consultant, so that's where I am now. Been with the company almost two years. I've loved every minute of it. It's been a great journey, and um, I continue to push myself um, to to new levels and 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 share information with the community because it's really you know the community that that, that got me where I am today. Yeah,
1: that's a very, very traditional narrative, right? I I sometimes cringe a little bit going like, yeah we get people involved in all the community we get people involved that they're great customers and then you know next thing you know we're just hiring you right you know like <laughs> and it's, it's almost like every big blogger that we've ever brought in it's like you know it's, it, that's that's a lot of the times the case which is exciting because you know we all like uh, to be a strong company and and have great talent from the field and work at customer sites and so that's great um i don't know a way to get people to go back to customers after 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 they come in right because just a great place to great place to work. Um, and that's also fun just to be able to say you build machines or virtual machines. It's just a lot of, a lot of geeky, geeky ecosystem stuff to be able to do this. Um, so, okay. So that's, that's a great career arc. So thanks for sharing that with us. Nice to hear it. Uh, you've been blogging. How long have you been blogging? I think I, I went to your blog and you said you have quite a number of blog articles out there.
2: Um, I think it was probably about 2018. I started so coming up three years now. Very nice. Very nice. Um, right.
1: And in inside of VMware, I mean, you're 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 talking about HCX. So uh, your role inside of VMware is uh, tech marketing. What are you doing inside of VMware? And then how did you get on uh, writing an HCX
2: blog? Uh, so I'm what we call a senior consultant. So I'm a field worker. I work directly with customers as a um, delivery and architectural sort of position. So um, the customer will come to VMware and say, Hey, we've got these current technologies, and we want to do X, Y, and Z. And once the sales guys have gone in and, you know, proposed everything, I or um, together with others, we we go in and, and build it, uh, well, design it, build it, and then deliver it and hand it over to the customer. Um, as, 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 you know, hopefully a successful project.
1: Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. And, uh, Uh, Trust me, I have lived out, I was a VP of operations for a a $100 million company. And you think that's big, but it's actually pretty small. We only have like a couple people uh, running IT, right? And so when we do have these big projects, uh, we're not doing them inside. We're looking for people that can help us, right? And to actually do it and either uh, partner with somebody or get, get experts in that can help us do it, plan it out, and then execute to it, right? And then, you know, we'll work it into our budget. So very common model.
2: Yeah. yeah, that's right. Because, you know, everyone has their day job. So you can't just go around the, you know, the current second, third line and architects and say, right, okay, I know you've got your day job, and you're very busy. But we also want you to plan and execute this upgrade project, or, you know, we're going to move to the cloud. So that's where where I come in, because uh, there simply isn't the manpower, or sometimes um, the time or expertise. So uh, we, we we come in and we, we help customers through that ten- that, that move and the transition to to whatever it is that they're looking for. Okay, so cool.
1: I think most of our listeners understand all this, so we won't spend a lot of time there, but it was nice to see that summary. HX. let's do a little elevator pitch on HX. So people that are listening that haven't played with HX yet and had to migrate workloads into cloud environments, why don't you give us a little bit of elevator pitch of HGX, uh the history of it and where we're at when we came up to 4.0, then we'll, we'll dive into 4.0.
2: Yeah, so um, you have a a customer and they have some, you know, aging hardware, it's five years old, they want to buy some new kit. Um, and it's on some really old software versions, and they want to upgrade it because of, you know, the new features and, and security. Um, but you can't just go out and buy a load of new kit and then put it into a data center. Or, you know, if you're migrating to the cloud, such as VM VMware Cloud on, on Amazon Web Services, you, you, you can't copy all of your data into a hard drive and then drive to an Amazon data center and say, hey, guys, can I just plug this into your your kit and, um, and you know, move my workloads? So um, traditionally, my migration has been difficult within VMware because we have to have linked um, SSO domains, um, and in the past, we've often relied on flings or third-party tools to essentially lift and shift our our infrastructure, our workloads and our applications from, from what they're currently hosted on to where we want them to be hosted. So that's where um, HCX steps in because it allows us to um, perform that workload mobility and it removes a lot of constraints around uh, typical migration projects where, like I said, we have to have uh, be a member of the same SSO domain um, and HCX removes all of that and it can uh, partially automate the, uh, the migration as well. It's a really great tool. And one of the most common things that our customers use HCX for is the simple um, three or four-click um, stretching of layer two networks because you know applications are coded in a certain way and to change their IP addresses to move on to a new network Is not often easy. We have to get developers involved for the application to recode it. That involves application lifecycle. It involves testing and it involves change. Whereas HTX, we can simply go, okay, you know, your subnet on 192.168.0.1. Sorry, 0.0. We're we're just going to stretch that to VMware Cloud or VMware Cloud Foundation or Oracle Cloud or Azure Cloud. Whatever target environment you're going to, we're going to stretch that network over there um, with a couple of clicks of a button, there's no need for any kind of complex network architecture or engineering. It's it's all done for you within the application. And then once we've moved our workloads over, we're gonna simply unstretch it and that network's gonna become a routable network in our new target infrastructure. Um, HCX also has some other pretty cool features. We can do disaster recovery and with certain limits, we can migrate, physical workloads into virtual workloads
1: as well. So let me unpack just, just to get, just to make sure I'm, <laughs> I've been reading about it right I really want to make sure I understand that uh, before we get to it too far down, which is, um, one, multi-cloud, right? So you do work with Oracle, Azure, and AWS, right? Not just ours. Yeah. And then two, um, you're extending the network. Does that require me to have, you know, a vSphere that, that set up over there, or NSX set up over there? Or is it basically working with the, the cloud vendors and just doing the right networking on both ends to connect my data center over to my cloud instance? Or is that a VMC and AWS type of integration?
2: Um, it's vSphere only. So um, we in a typical source and cloud environment, you must have vSphere at source, and you must have vSphere at destination. Um, and there's a couple of um, requirements in terms of the software levels, most particularly at the destination, we have to have um t or, or it can work with NSXv as well, but that's being deprecated. So we, we recommend NSXT at the destination.
1: Right. So then, if we go back to Amazon and or or not Amazon, Oracle and Azure. So Oracle and Azure both give you the capacity to run vSphere, obviously, and NSXT uh, in their environments. So that uh, this, then, if we connect these, this will then start doing that work.
2: Uh, yeah, that's right. As long as as long as um, you know our our VMware vSphere environment will run on the cloud, we can install and leverage HCX
1: Right. and and I think Azure and Oracle both commit to that uh, that support so therefore that's how that works
2: yeah that's right and it's on IBM cloud as well I believe and we've got the um the EMC um, version as well so there's a couple of different flavors out there but uh from from the HCX perspective um it, it's much of a muchness um, we we the the architecture and the design and the way that we use it is much of the same regardless of the the environment in which it's it's living on.
1: How do how do one how do one's go about acquiring a HCX? Is HCX part of an enterprise license or what is the what is the way customers then get HCX to start working with this?
2: So it comes for free with um VMware Cloud. You you gain HCX advanced there's two different licensing levels there's advanced um which is the basic one and then there's enterprise which opens up new features such as um replication assisted vMotion. um we also gain um so mine's gone blank um a couple of other features with, with with enterprise such as mobility groups that's the word i was looking for so with vmware cloud on aws we get advanced with a couple of enterprise features thrown in. Um, but ordinarily, if we were looking at as your VMware solution, then we'd be, just be looking at the the advanced option. And you gain advanced when you have NSX-T Enterprise Plus. Um, you you can then license HCX as long as that Enterprise Plus license covers every socket on the target system that you're going to.
1: OK. okay. All right, that makes sense. Got all that. That uh, thank you for that explanation. So, for people listening, now you understand how that what how that layers on and how to actually get it. And if you have the cloud uh, package, you probably already have it, right? So you, you could go play with it. Um, so most, I would assume that most people that are setting this up is probably doing. You know, you're you're migrating a workload into cloud environments. It's not bi directional, right? This this tool is really used to kind of lift and shift a workload into the cloud environment. And then once it's there, then it, you, you turn it off and it, it's, your workload is there. That's what I think you described. Uh, there's no bringing workloads back or there's not like a kind of a load balancer or any kind of mechanism in here that allows me to decide when I want to pull things back bi-directional or is it is it primarily a tool to do the move to the cloud?
2: Um, so yeah, you're correct. There's no load balancer as such but we can move forwards and what's known as, um, within HCX known as a reverse migration where we we effectively move the workloads back. So um, one of the most common types of migration with that HCX offers that we use in the field is is, is bulk migration and under the skin, it does a vSphere replication of a workload to the cloud. And then at the cutover point, it will shut down the source VM do a cold sync of the data and then power on to target vm what it also does to the um, to the vm at source it disconnects to the network and then it will unix timestamp it with the time date that that workload was migrated so you know here we are at a customer and we have a really important application we've just spent months planning mm-hmm. this and we've done all of the you know new gateway and firewall rules for this application we've shifted it into the cloud switch it on it doesn't work we do our 30 minutes hour of testing Um, we can't get it to work so all we simply do is we just power it off and then power on the source VMs uh, which is a really cool feature with the bulk migration but because it's a cold migration method there is downtime um, involved with the application but HTx it's you know it's it's designed to live in a hybrid environment so that could, that that that's where the name comes from it's hybrid cloud extension we can have workloads living both in the customers data center and also um in, in in a cloud data center as well at the same time and we can move backwards and forwards we can create protection groups to protect our workloads it's it's not a tool that we install move everything and then uninstall we can keep it as long as we want Because not all customers want all of their workloads in the cloud, right?
1: I was going to ask you that, like from a design uh, pattern practice of migrating. I I would assume that customers look at a segment, a small section of their applications, uh, and then go through, use HTX to migrate that, uh, get success at that, and then determine where else in the enterprise they want to do that activity. And then that might be a, a year activity across multiple workloads or multiple business units or divisions, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Yeah, it's 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 a big job to move um to move all of your workloads. It's a very big job. And typically we we spend months and like you said, sometimes, you know, it can be over a year of 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 planning and executing and testing um the the move. Um, you know, some of our customers are, you know, we, we could be working with a with a credit card company and one of the applications we move is, is to do with the authorization of payments. So that, that's a really, really important application. We can't afford any mistakes or any downtime. So we, we have to make sure that it's all planned and executed um, right. uh, as best as we can, right?
1: All right. So that's a, uh, we've now, we're now on version 4.0, right? Um, so I guess we could just dive in a little bit, uh, which is part of your blog, just taking people through some of the new features in 4.0 and you start with some numbering. So maybe you want to take us through what the numbering of that meant when you wrote it up in your blog.
2: Yeah. So um, version three of HCX, it had a, it was known as an R release. So you know, R100 up up to R147, which is the latest one on version 3.5. Um, these are releases that the, the business unit would release these with, um, you know, it, they were extremely aggressive with the releases. So you could install one version and then four to six weeks later, a new one would come out. <laughs> and that's a very, very aggressive timeline for applications. And to, to to make matters worse is we we VMware we said you know we'll, we'll only support you going back three versions, so three months into your project you're yeah. having to upgrade, and that simply was not acceptable to some customers because when we use HX to do a layer two extension and we upgrade the appliances we lose the network um, for a couple of minutes and like I said financial company or any other business where they're reliant on the network being up. It simply wasn't acceptable. But we, as VMware, we were saying to customers, you must upgrade this because it's gonna be out of support. Um, so version four has come along. Um, in the code, it's known as version 148, but we we call it version 4.0. And that brings the HCX product under a similar um, version skew as all of the rest of our products that we offer. So typically, we'd install version 4.0, and we we will support that for a year. Um, and it means that we don't have to adhere to those really aggressive releases of new versions. And now as well, uh, the versions, they're not being released anywhere near as aggressively because of a lot of the early issues with the product have now been high, um, ironed out. It's really mature now. So the, the release cycle is far less aggressive. So we can install. You know, I'm working with a customer now. We've installed version 4.0, and it's one of the later releases, 4.0.2, um, and we're as a you know we've decided as a project we're going to stay on that version for as long as possible because we want to avoid the uh, the issues that come along with the upgrade, right?
1: Right, right, right. That makes sense. So that's a really, really uh, a good, a good fix to that problem, which is now you got 4.0, you're good for a year. That's an, that's, that's enough time that you should be able to plan out and execute your, your migrations over the course of a year. And you're not worried, even though they are doing our releases along the journey, you're, you still have support for a year on the, the base number, Right.
2: Yeah that's right. So the, the the R releases were dropped with version 4. So we now have version 4 401 402 and 4.1 was released a couple of weeks ago. Um they they've gone the BU have gone away from the from the R notation oh. of the release. It's just a version number. Um, so you know when I'm working with a customer I will say right we are now on version 4.1 and we will keep that for the duration of the project and the only reason why we should upgrade is one it comes out of support. You know, we've had that for a year. Two, a really cool new feature has come out and that would really help us with with our mobility. Or three, there was a critical security issue that's been fixed that we really ought to, you know, be patching straight away. Right.
1: That's great. That's great. And I, I have to smile a little bit because like, you know, people whine about dot releases, right? But but really they do work. They're, they're a really great way to get your head around where we're at. So if you have 4.1 and then they come out with 4.2 or 4.1.1, you kind of, we all understand from a software perspective what that means, right? So the cloud era where we're, you know, releasing cloud software, this is kind of bent this a little bit, right? I'm, and I'm glad we're seeing some of this straighten itself out, right? Because getting your head around what version you're on and how many cycles you get of cloud software is driving me nuts on a lot of the platforms I use, right? So that's, that's nice to see. Um, all right. So uh, one, the numbering system, that sounds sounds great that we got that. Uh, and then you touched on one of the other features that uh, that, that that you mentioned, which is time off. I, I, I was reading your blog. So if you want to touch on that one or we can touch on other 4.0 feature sets, but I know there was uh, an improvement in downtime when you are doing the
2: migration. Yeah. So previous to version four. Um, so say we're on, R146 and then R147 comes along in version three. The way that we upgrade is that we do the cloud side first and then the source side managers. The managers is the managers to the HCX appliances is what vcenter is to ESXI host, right? So we first upgrade the management component. Um, they, they have no part in the in the data plane of traffic within HCX. That's all done by the interconnect appliance, um, the network extension appliance. Uh, the Sentinel gateway, and if applicable, um, the one optimizer as well. So first we upgrade the managers and then we upgrade the interconnect appliances. They do the shifting of data. So when we're moving workloads, it's the interconnects that do the work. If there's no migrations going on, we can upgrade those without a problem, because if we're not migrating, they're not doing any work. Now the network extension appliances, they can extend eight networks each with msxt and if we have to upgrade one of those we could have potentially eight layer two stretch networks from source to destination and they would see some downtime and that could be on on the older version three it could be 90 seconds 120 seconds which means for the majority of businesses they would have to schedule an outage for the upgrade now if they're having to do that every six weeks it's going to be quite annoying so what we've brought out with version 4 is um, we we deploy a new network extension appliance while the old one is still working, and then it will take over the, the data paths. So we, we lose typically between one and three seconds of, of, of traffic flow when, when we do an upgrade, which is an acceptable amount. And we, we can, depending on how cautious the customer is, do, do that outside of an outage window because network packets are dropped. All over the place in day-to-day networking. Um, so doing it on a layer two stretch is going to last a second or so is not a huge hindrance, um, and it means that we can, you know, apply these updates as as and when they come out. Um, in a future release of HCX, we're going to have, um, hopefully, I'm, I, I don't know whether the BU are with this, but um, one of the most sought after features is high availability for the network extension appliances. Um, so when if when that comes, it means that we can, you know, do a do an upgrade without having to worry about an outage.
1: Any outage, right? Even even a few seconds.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, y- your VMotion of VM from from host one to host two, it gets stunned very temporarily, and it's quite common to see one one ping drop. It, right. We've been living yeah. with that since you know for for as long as I remember, and, sure. and it's going to be similar on Hcx. So it's definitely something that we can live with.
1: Cool. Going back to your blog for a second, which is Chris, chrisdocs.com, C-H-R-I-S-D-O-O-K-S. The the article's uh, the the main article on your on your site, Hx 4 uh, So you should be able to find it there on on his blog. Uh, you have some nice images of of menus. Um, uh, th- thought that was a really nice nice way. And I think there's one of them here that uh, you know is an improvement in that what visibility of what you can actually see happening while it's happening. You want to talk about that? <laughs>
2: Yes, yeah, I'm smoking a little bit um, back in version three, we, we, we could roughly work out how long the migration is going to take because professional services will go in there with the customer we'll deploy HCX and we'll do some dummy migrations. One to prove the product does its job and two, so we can time it. And we can kind of work out the data throughput. Um, not, not everyone has 10 gigabit per second low latency networking available, some customers may only have 50 megabit per second. So it's important to to work out how long, roughly, a workload is going to take to migrate. Um, Now in version three, the the number that HCX used to tell you that it was 20% of the way through or 50% didn't really mean that much. It's only really when you start digging around in the host's log files, you can work out what's going on. So with version four, it's brought out a, a, um, an estimate of, of, of the time remaining, and it also shows you the, the particular events that it's gone through. So step one, we're going to get a vMotion lock. Step two, we're going to configure the mobility agent, um, which is the IX appliance. It's a, it's a fake host. And step three, we're going to start moving the data. HCX actually tells you all of these steps now. They're not buried away in the appliance logs. Um, and then if any one of those steps fails, that will go red within the HCX manager. So in, in the field and troubleshooting, when, when something goes wrong, it makes it, you know, an awful lot more easier to, to work out where the issue is. And it gives you an, a best guess as to, you know, how long the migration is going to take as well, which is a really, really cool feature.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at it and you know, the you have, you know, plus 1 minute, you know, it gives you kind of a timeline, plus 2 minutes and then you can actually just see how long, you know, it's chunking through things that are green, things or like that. So, pretty nice little uh little little tool there for, you know, watching your migration happen.
2: Yeah, for sure. And bef- before version 4, you y- you had none of that. The only way to work out what was going on is you you'd have to find the source VM. In the inventory and look at the tasks and events to work out what's going on and then maybe have a look in the esx task and events or or look at the HCX application logs um which you know when when you're in the middle of a migration it's a lot of screens and a lot of command line work to go through and work out so to have it shown to you within the management interface is a is a really really useful addition
1: so you've been through a couple of these migrations with customers I assume right because it's kind of part of your practice um, yeah. what's the feeling what what are customers uh, when they, when they go through it are they like oh my that was super hard <laughs> we're so happy this is done like what's how is this uh, how has this been rolling out from a customer perspective how I, how sick should I feel? Uh, when I'm when I'm thinking about uh, doing this, let's say I have you know next year, one of my goals is to start migrating workloads to different clouds. Uh, how comfortable are customers getting with this? Uh, how painful has it been? Is it getting less painful? Is everybody relieved when it's done? Are they giving themselves high fives, looking at their 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 cloud bill? What what kind of color can you give us around you know this process? So it's getting
2: greener, that's for sure. Um, you know, in in the early in the early days of the early R13 uh, versions, sort of a couple of years ago, it it was it worked, but we'd have a lot of failures, and then sometimes trying to fault find on this product was was quite difficult. Um, as as the product's matured and we've had newer releases, thankfully, most of those issues are now gone, and we can you know use it as intended without having to fault find a lot. I'm working with a customer at the moment, and Saturday just gone. We migrated 101 VMs, some of them really large in the four or five terabyte region. And one had an error out of the 101, which is a really, really good, um, really good failure rate. Now, that one that had an error, if we were on version 4.1, we could have just re migrated it. And because it does checkpoint seeds, it it, it works out where it was, but unfortunately we didn't have the option. So we had to um, kick off the migration again. And that was over three terabytes. And even on, you know, really low latency links, it still takes a long time, long time to go. Um, But yeah, customers, Really like the product. The
1: the checkpointing really does make a difference when it's a Saturday and you started Saturday at 8 a.m. and you know something goes wrong at at midday and you like have to restart on a 3.0 version. Uh, You're waiting another another six hours before you're going to get through it again because you you weren't able to checkpoint one failure.
2: Exactly. So and it's not just me sat there or the the vSphere team from the customer we have project managers involved application owners we have network guys you know theres the program managers and you know, we, we, we've got 20 people on this call and it's a Saturday and then this one VM fails and then you know it, it takes a long time to, to go through again um, it is really frustrating but um luckily we've fought at one and we're hopefully going to release uh upgrade to that release with this customer um in the next couple of weeks in the next migration way doesn't or can't or won't suffer the same consequences but yeah customers really like hcx um it's at first it seems a little bit daunting to install and configure it because it's not really like any other product that we offer You, you you don't just install esx on bare metal and then right click new vm but there's a little bit of design considerations that have to go into it but once it's up and running And then we demonstrate the product and especially how easy it is to stretch um a broadcast domain or a layer 2 network Uh, the customers really really like that because ordinarily you'd have to have quite a few um clever networking sort of people looking into it whereas we we can go in as a visa administrator and without a huge amount of networking knowledge we, we we can just stretch this network out really easily
1: Yeah, my wife used to work at a company called SmartDB, right? So we're a family of administrators. My brother-in-law, like my sister-in-law, myself, my kid. Like, we've been IT guys for a long time, right? It's almost like a family of IT people. And one of the companies she worked with, SmartDB, which was focused on just doing data migration for databases right and and everybody understands that when you're migrating it's not just a like oh drag and drop and everything's going to just zip on over there is a lot of architectural things you have to worry about and even when you get the tools the tools help but the tools you know it's still a work it's it's a project right it's not just a drag and drop it's yeah. a project but then if the tools are good it just makes the project go that much smoother
2: yeah for sure I mean I remember my first project I thought to myself. We're we're just migrating workloads. How hard can this be? And yeah, it's really a lot more difficult than what you think because typically if if we're talking about something like NSXT and we're showcasing the distributed firewall, we we take a three-tier application and we go, right, okay, so the web box talks to the application box and the application box talks to the database. And it's just these three VMs talking to each other all happily. But actually, you, you need to sit back and think about it a little bit because these three VMs are doing DNS queries. They've got updates. They might have some form of scene product antivirus that's managed by a policy server. And they need to talk to domain controllers respectively They may be sending mail. So they have to talk to an SMTP server of some form. So there's an awful lot of traffic going on and we, we have to go in there, look at these boxes, look at what they're talking to. What networks are they on? What networks are they talking to? And then we have to cut that down over a course of, you know, sometimes 1,000, 5,000 virtual machines and, and come up with, with move events. It's an extremely difficult job. Thankfully, there are tools out there that can help us. Network Insight is absolutely brilliant at this. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's not a simple of um, right-click migrate VM, unfortunately.
1: And and it's really data center migration, right? Like it's like, it's not just applications. It's the whole data data center infrastructure that everything has to go over. And so it's, it's actually amazing. It's like a cruise ship migration, right? Like it's like these big things that you're migrating, but the fact that you can do it at all, it's like saying you're going to take the uh, a hundred story building and migrate it to another city, right? Like it's impossible to do, but to some degree, because of this now and the infrastructure that we've got and you know, tools like this, you actually can migrate a hundred story building to another city and it actually works. Right. And you can, yeah. actually
2: that happen. it's a, it's a great enabler of technology and mobility. I remember years and years ago, we had to move a data center from, from one location to another one, 30 miles down the road. And we had to shut down all of these servers, these huge 42 U sans, power everything off, load it all into a back of a truck, and then drive it 15 miles down the road to then unload it. You've got all of the cabling, you know, racking of everything, and then the power-on procedure. Whereas now we can just go, right, okay, our data center lease is lapsing in 12 months. And the, the um, you know, the company that's leasing us this is gonna charge us more money. So we're gonna move all of our workload into VMware Cloud because um, we, we pay a bunch of money a month and we get support and all of that hosting and BTU calculations and power consumption and hardware upgradability and software upgradability is taken out of our hands and VMware are going to manage that for us. Okay, cool. So we have an internet connection from our data center or we have an Amazon Direct Connect and we're just going to leverage that and copy copy everything um, over to the new location. And to be able to do that is 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 really really cool technology, I think.
1: And it actually makes me sleep better at night too, because you know there is always this risk that I always worry about of when I get to the new city that there's going to be some fatal issues that we just didn't know about, right? And that we we want to go back, we or we want to go to a new city, and then how much work is it going to be to go to a new city once we've gone to this city? And like in a, in a real sense, as these tools improve, and and you've done it once you will have the flexibility going to another location that's running vsphere right and so you don't yeah. really want to think that way but at least you're not panicked over your city selection either right you can you can you know that once you've done this you can probably do it again if you need to right or come back to your own data center if you need to right like there are there are choices you're not completely Locked into Now, I know once I go, I don't want to leave, right? But there are always this nagging feeling that keeps me up that we've missed something about the new place we're migrating to and that it, it's going to be a mess and I'm going to lose my job and everybody's, you know, it's all yeah, yeah. to My kids are going to starve. Uh, so I, I do like the notion that you have the flexibility to go to other vSphere destinations as well.
2: Yeah, and you, you, you mentioned city, right? So we're going back to the migration I did years and years ago where we put everything onto a truck and we drove it somewhere. Um, you, you, you can't drive a truck from London to Sydney. Well, you probably could, but it'd take a long time and we'd have to put it on ferries. There's a lot of risk in that. But if we want to migrate our data centre from, from London to Sydney, we can do that. The, the, there is no limit geographically in the world where we can move our data centre to as long as it has internet access or a private circuit going to it
1: right all right so i know you're not going to have the answer to this and you're probably going to hate me for answering the question but i know aws has these like super washing machine type data packs that allow you to you know put your data on it and then ship your data because you're you don't want to and do we get into any of that uh, do we are we able to use some of that functionality to get large data sets from from our prem to a cloud provider and i know that uh, azure is probably doing it as well i can't imagine that you're doing that but it, it did hit me when we were talking about shipping systems over that actually amazon and i think azure now are building and google cloud are building like data packs that allow you to like their physical devices that you bring in, you put them in, it's kind of like a, a pod uh, for storage in the US where they'll, they'll bring you a pod to your driveway, you load it up, and then they they take it away. Uh, have you seen any of that?
2: I haven't seen it, no. I, I know it exists, and I know it's not just limited to the cloud providers. Um, uh, yeah, they, they turn up, it, it's a data center on a truck, and they, they plug in a couple of network cables into your data center, you copy the data over, the truck drives to the new location and then offloads it. You know, yeah and um,
1: it, they, they have super cool like uh half of the size of a washing machine kind of packs that are shippable right like they lock the drives down and they're yeah, yeah. data repositories and I think that you can use those even par- as part of this but you just probably have you've manually get the data over there then you have to copy it in or you know move it onto your your systems I think they have ways to do that I was just curious if you'd bumped into it no I
2: haven't but it sounds really. cool. I want to see one. I'd one. Like to like to see. I want to have. A, I want to see know. one.
1: Yeah, I, I've been on Google. You can go Google the image of them, and they're they're super cool, right? Look like something out of the Star Trek Enterprise, really. Like in order to do that, right? Uh, I'm surprised they don't have dry ice and other things foaming out of the out of these packs. But uh, it is it is an interesting challenge, right? To to migrate and everything you have to do, including large data sets, right? To to get on on prem, but uh, oh, huge. Yeah. I mean,
2: you know. We, I've mentioned uh, Amazon Direct Connect before and it's a 10 gigabit low latency private circuit between your point of presence to your data center and to um, an availability zone within AWS. But that ten gigabit pipe, you know, if you're if you if you have five hundred terabytes of data, it's gonna take a long time to, to copy. Whereas the I imagine these data packs probably got, you know, the latest PCIe technology with, with solid state drives and you can you can move data a lot faster than what you can over the internet or or over a direct connect. So yeah, it sounds sounds pretty cool. I have heard about similar technologies, although um I, I haven't myself worked worked with it at the moment.
1: Right, there's, there's what people build and then what we are actually using. So so it's neat. Uh, I know we're, we, we've been uh, broadcasting now for 46 minutes. So uh, we're coming of uh, the last uh, six or seven minutes together, Chris, but uh, I've enjoyed talking about it. It's uh, it's fun, it makes me want to go back into the field and, and get to do some fun stuff, right? Because uh, in the land of community and marketing, I don't get very much time to, to, to do real hardware type things anymore. Um, but um, what are you planning for the rest of the year? What do you see yourself? We always ask uh, community members, like, what is your goals and objectives for the rest of the year? What excites you about what you're working on uh, going through the rest of
2: 2021?
1: Um, Stay alive, I know. That's what
2: I <laughs> uh, well, coming well, out of COVID. You know, I just want to well, maybe... Well, well, well. first of all, I've really, really enjoyed this. And um, my, my fiance said to me, you know, are you not nervous? You're talking to a lot of people. So, i know it's fine you know it's my job i love it and i can talk about it all day long as long as you know someone out there is willing to listen but in terms of the following the coming up over the next six months I've, I've just moved house a couple of weeks ago um on monday we're picking up a new puppy so i think my time is largely outside of work going to be taken up by this this little thing that's going to ruin or or make joy in my life. So work-wise, there's a couple of projects I'm working on at the moment, that hopefully closing off soon. Um, And I'm gonna be using the next couple of months to to, to focus my time and energy on the customers to help them get over the line and see them through to project completion. And then uh, next year, um, hopefully gonna be doing more around blogging and helping out the community Um, Maybe look into a couple of um, avenues within VMware um, surrounding career progression and uh, personal development as well.
1: Nice, nice. Well, if you it, it, guys, if you're listening to this podcast, you made it almost to the end of the show, and you want to see what Chris looks like and his nice-looking Star Wars poster on the back. You can go to V Barbecue, V B A R B E C U E. We we put that on cameras and we live stream it there, so you can go check that out and see what he looks like, and check out his uh, most amazing VMware V Expert shirt that he's wearing. <laughs> also, a, you know, a big deal. <laughs>
2: I was going to wear the 2021 one, but it's a little bit smaller and we've had lockdown and yeah, it it, it didn't fit quite as well as this one.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, I, hey, thanks a lot for for joining and uh, and and taking us through it. It's uh, certainly cool. For, and if you if you're not a big data center customer, you probably don't get to expose to this. So uh, it's it's fun to listen to it and see what people are big big data center guys are are facing as they migrate to the cloud. So I appreciate you coming and explaining that to us, uh, Corey Romero. Any last things you wanna you wanna you know, it, Chris? I know you said thanks for yeah. being. To be
0: yeah, I was just going to say again. Thanks for being a V expert. I know you've been a V expert three years in a row, and I know you're in the uh, sub program for uh, VMC on AWS. And uh, yeah. I know that was well deserved. So um, thank you, appreciate thank you. Thank you, Corey. And it's nice to finally meet you both as well. Yeah, over, actually. Well, We will meet in person soon.
2: Yeah, hopefully over a few a few V beers. Yeah. yeah. Yes, definitely. <laughs>
1: All right, with that we'll uh, hit V barbecue because I know that uh, Tony Foster says that uh, he did maybe some barbecue pizza, and uh, Chris will 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 ask you too. So be thinking about this question: What's your favorite barbecue? What do you guys do for barbecue in the UK? But uh, Tony Foster, what's uh, what's going on with barbecue? It's almost lunchtime here in California, so you know we always like to wrap it up with a little bit of uh, barbecue talk.
0: Oh, most definitely. So.
1: This week I barbecued um, a pre-made pizza. I, I know it sounds cheesy and everything, but just wanted something simple and quick to throw on the grill, uh, grabbed one out of the freezer, popped it on the grill, about 20 minutes later, I had this awesome um, smoky flavored uh, pizza. It was, it was absolutely fantastic. So if you're in somewhat of a hurry and want to barbecue Definitely a great way to go. So you just went and got us yourself one of those nice frozen pizzas. I don't remember the Dijon Dijorno or the other ones in the U.S., but uh, globally you just it. was got... actually a Tony's pizza, ironically enough. There you go. And just threw it on the grill. Uh, did it pick up some of the smoky flavor? Was it? Did it, did it make the bread crust? Oh, yes, yes. Wow, there you go. And you got a nice crispy crust on the bottom? Yes i am going to try that i'm going to try that this afternoon right that sounds like a really easy win just go pick us up a nice frozen pizza i like a couple of the versions that are around here uh and then i bet they make them blackened and crispy at the same time which is part of the problem with the frozen pizza is it it is lacking a little bit of flavor and and you know and crust crispiness so
0: that might work i'll have to give that a try yeah, I wonder how a Papa John's pizza would do on that as well. That 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 sounds pretty good. I know with my pizzas, especially with raw wow, dough, I, the raw dough will tend to you know kind of dip into the barbecue slots. Um, so what I've always done is as I put it on a stone um, and cooked it there and let it just get hard enough at the bottom. Then I take it off, put it back on the grill, and uh, it's been delicious. But um, when I barbecue pizza, I make homemade pizza as well. The best. Dough I've ever made is Greek yogurt and flour. That's it. Mixture that, and it comes out crispy, and it's delicious.
1: Nice. All right, and finally, last but not least, all the way from the UK, Chris Duker, what is your favorite barbecue?
2: Um, I really, really like ribs and hot wings. There you go yeah but yeah um i'm 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 actually going to texas in october so i'm looking forward to trying uh trying it there sort of the texan american way for sure
1: yeah yeah you can't go wrong with uh texas uh, ribs particularly right Uh, they, they they do good stuff i don't know if texas is saucy or whether they're dry rub but uh you'll you'll have to let us know i know that uh can't go wrong with some some nice rib ribs and chicken wings do people barbecue in the uk very often i know it rains a lot right it seems like yeah yeah that.
2: we we, we I, get you know two two days a year of sunshine right? so we make the most <laughs> of it yeah.
1: There you go there, you go. Um, very fun, very fun. All right. Well, with that, we're at the pretty much the top of the hour, so we'll uh, we'll we'll end it up. I know we're going to be back again next week. We've got uh, topics going on for the rest of the year, and we're going to be start talking about VMWorld and the sessions and some of the key sessions that are happening. Uh, we're going to bring some of the session owners in and have them talk. And if you're a V expert, thanks a lot for uh, blogging about some of the sessions. This year's goal is to get people to not only attend VMWorld but actually be there for the sessions. Um, I think last year we had 150,000 people register to come to VMworld. And I think we only had maybe 20 or 30,000 people a day actually come in and watch sessions. Over the course of the three or four days, we did have maybe like 60 or 70,000 people attend but this year we're trying to up that. So if we get you to register, we also need to get people back to come in and listen and uh, have some Slack channels, have some dialogue. Uh, So we're building some of that. So that's what we're gonna be working on with Corey and all of the experts is how to get people uh, to to come in, register, but also then remember to come back and actually attend and engage with us. So that should be fun. Corey, uh, Chris, thanks a lot. Thank you.
2: Thank you.